and welcome to the Fact Checker Podcast. We've already seen a lot of drama at the State House since the legislative started this past month, particularly around a pair of education proposals from Governor Kim Reynolds that includes a mandate to return to 100% in-person learning and a sweeping school choice reform. All that we'll discuss today, uh, but before we get started, let's introduce the team. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm the healthcare reporter for the Gazette. I'm Marissa Payne. I'm the Gazette's Cedar Rapids government reporter. I'm John Steppi. I'm the Gazette's business reporter. And I'm Erin Jordan. I cover investigations. So about a month into the legislative session, um, as I stated before, we have two proposed education measures. Both have been put forth by the governor's office um, that really caused a a little bit of a controversy, I think, um, among uh, state Iowa State House Democrats in particular. Um, and among those critics is uh, Senator Sarah Trone Garriott. Uh, she is a Senate Education Committee member, um, and she's also a Democrat from Windsor Heights. And she sent out a news release January 24th, which included a couple statements that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and I'll read them off here first. Uh, Senate Study Bill 1065 would divert taxes for public schools to private schools. And Senate Study Bill 1064 would make Iowa schools unsafe during the pandemic, she said. Uh, And then she had another statement. uh, Both pieces of legislation were written and filed without any input from the Iowa Department of Education. So we'll kind of break these down, but to to back up a little bit and kind of provide some context. So uh, Senate Study Bill 1065, which is now Senate File 159, is that uh, piece of legislation uh, that is a sweeping proposal uh, to expand school choice. Um, there's there's various aspects of this bill, but in particular, what they're referencing in this statement um, is a taxpayer-funded private school tuition scholarship that would be awarded to public school students who have been identified by federal program as quote-unquote low-performing academically. Um, so we're going to check that particular piece of the statement first um, in regards to whether it would divert taxes for public schools to private schools. And in fact, it does, according to a nonpartisan Iowa Legislative Services Agency, which is uh, the nonpartisan organization that kind of measures and analyzes impact of potential legislation um, and and reviews and and reports on these impacts. So according to them, the proposed private school scholarships would cost Iowa's public school districts $2.1 million in state aid and property taxes in the first year alone. They estimate it would go on to cost those school districts $3.1 million in the second year and $3.8 million in the third year. Now, I thought that was pretty straightforward. Uh, Based on this analysis alone, we do find that to be true. So moving on to the second part regarding Senate Study Bill 1064. Now, that one is referencing Senate File 160, which should be noted was actually signed into law by Governor Kim Reynolds on January 29th. So... That is the bill that mandates K through 12 schools in Iowa offer all students beginning February 15th the option to return to 100% in-person learning, even if the districts aren't operating uh, entirely in person at the time. Now, we know that this has been a priority of Governor Reynolds uh, for for some time now. She she mentioned it in her condition of the state, and and she even mentioned it uh, that she wanted to return to in-person learning before that point. Um, But she's also faced major criticism for this proposal, um, as referenced in in the statement from from the senator from Windsor Heights. But uh, there have been uh, public health experts and infectious disease physicians, um, namely one Fort Dodge-based physician, who 
pointed out in a online town hall late last month that the statewide in-person mandate, quote, could be one of the most dangerous things we do during the pandemic. Um, Senator Trone Garrett also pointed out that uh, the bill, excuse me, her name is Senator Trone Garriott. Um, she pointed out in, in response to the fact checker inquiry that the bill doesn't provide additional funding and it doesn't really offer flexibility for these school districts who are returning to 100% in person, but don't have the capacity to, you know, offer social distancing or, or any funding to provide PPE if they are 100% in person. Um, so that was really kind of her context for this criticism. But when reaching out to the governor's office, uh, the spokesman pointed to federal health official recommendations that really urge schools to return to in-person learning as soon as possible, uh, pointing to a, quote, preponderance of available evidence that schools can continue in-person teaching as long as there's mask wearing, social distancing, et cetera. Um, and we've talked a lot about this before uh, in a previous fact checker um, that actually was last week, I believe, um, about whether COVID spread is happening in schools and whether the rate of transmission is really posing a danger uh, to the community or whether the community is posing a danger to schools. And rather than kind of getting into that, um, We've linked back to our previous fact checker in which we gave Reynolds a B. Uh, so if you'd like to dig into that, that will be available with this check. Um, so these two sentences referencing uh, Senate Study Bill 1065 and Senate Study Bill 1064, I gave it a B overall. Um, the first claim was true, but the second claim was really kind of what knocked it down. Uh, you know, federal recommendations indicate that transmission isn't really happening in school. And so kind of poses the question, how much of a danger could this be to, to students and their families? Um, but we can kind of get into that later. So moving on to claim two, which is, quote, both pieces of legislation were written and filed without any input from the Iowa Department of Education. So I reached out to the Department of Education on this, and they told me that they did have the opportunity to review bill language and provide feedback before the legislation was filed. Um, they didn't specify when department officials really reviewed the proposals. Um, but, you know, so, so right off the bat, there's uh, kind of some discrediting happening for this particular statement. So I reached out to uh, Trone Garriott um, to, to kind of clarify this particular statement. And she sent me a letter that had been penned by Senator Herman Kornbach, who is a Democrat from Ames as kind of the, the source of this claim. So in the letter, he recounts two meetings he had. Um, one of them was with two department legislative liaisons, and the other was with the uh, department director, Ann Lebo. Um, and so these meetings took place on January 5th and January 8th. And in both meetings, he said that, you know, neither the legislative liaisons or the department director could provide any information about this proposed in-person mandate um, or any other really details about the governor's proposal. Um, he also wrote, uh, and I quote, Lebo had only heard of the proposal when the governor mentioned it in response to a reporter's question at a news conference. There was no indication that the governor had discussed the proposal with anyone from the department before the news conference, nor any time up to date of the Zoom call. And he's referencing the Zoom call he had with Director Lebo on January 8th. Now, he, he admitted in the letter that he had no information whether there was communication between the Department of Education and the governor's bill after January 8th. And it should be noted, Senate Study Bill 1064 
was introduced on January 20th, which is about two weeks later. So it could be true that the Iowa Department of Education was not aware of the proposal early on, maybe even in the days leading up to January 20th. But uh, because the Department of Education really contradicted uh, Trone Garriott's and Hornbach statements, uh, I went ahead and gave this claim a D. So in conclusion, overall, um, we can talk about kind of the overall grade later, but interested in what the team is thinking and, and kind of your feedback on, on this overall check. Thanks, Michaela. I, um, I think this is good, um, a good one to check. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk about briefly is how we gave Reynolds last week a B for saying that schools were safe, you know, that there wasn't transmission happening in the schools. And then today we're giving Trone Garriott a B for saying that, you know, that schools aren't safe. And I don't think that's bad because I think we can back up why we're doing that. Because in both cases, we don't, we're, we're not certain. Scientists aren't certain whether the transmission is happening in schools, but there is credible evidence on both sides of that argument. So we're not giving like both of them an A saying this is absolutely certain, you know, yes, they're right. We're saying they've presented credible evidence for their point, but there's this other side of it too. So, I mean, do you, do you guys agree with that or, or what do you think? I mean, yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, I'm oh, not sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, Michaela, if uh, Senator Trone Garriott mentioned anything um, about added concern because of the different strains of COVID that are now, you know, being discovered, I mean, you know, the cases in Johnson County that were just confirmed this week, uh, to be showing the UK variant of COVID. Um, you know, I think people could definitely make the argument nowadays that it. people have made the argument that it's even more dangerous right now to be opening up schools when we don't really know what the impact of these additional strains could be. So, you know, as the science kind of changes with that and public health guidance, um, you know, I've seen that argument going. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is a really good point. You know, her statement really didn't mention the variants and sort of like how that could change the situation. Her statements really kind of focused on um, the fact that there's no funding or there's no flexibility to, to kind of help these school districts provide PPE, uh, have adequate cleaning supplies, you know, enforce social distancing and kind of all the, the measures that kind of go around it. That's kind of really the basis for, you know, her reason that she thinks that schools could be unsafe returning to 100% in person. And I do think, you know, to Aaron's point, there is credibility to that because we gave Reynolds a B in, in her previous statement because federal officials and local public health officials have said, you know, we're not seeing transmission really in schools and there's not a lot of risk to schools as long as they are enforcing these public health safety measures, such as enforcing mask wearing and enforcing social distancing. So yeah, there's credibility on both sides. And, you know, I think uh, the pandemic, you know, to Marissa's point is such a changing situation. We don't know if the vaccine would really provide the level of protection that we need at this point or, you know, when these students are going to start returning to school. So yeah, I think there is a lot of elements here um, that are still kind of in question for, for a lot of these officials on both sides. And as we were saying last week, too, I mean, there's always a chance that tomorrow something comes out 
and I mean, totally backs this side or the other side where, I mean, even if you take out the whole element of the new variants, it's just been still an ever-changing situation and there hasn't been a ton of time to do research yet. So it isn't like there's a clear, I mean, there's evidence for both sides right now. So I agree with kind of giving both of those, I mean, with last week giving Governor Reynolds a B and then this part of the claim here also being a B. Absolutely. Um, okay. I, I wondered then kind of a little bit down, um, unless we have more discussion on, on the first part of the claim, but I, I wanted to ask you guys some questions on, on the second claim, or did we have more discussion on um, this first claim? No, I think I'm ready to move on to the second one. Okay, perfect. So, you know, I think we had a little bit of a discussion about this offline, um, about what credibility, you know, what weight do we really give to both sides, you know? So we have one statement saying Department of Education had no input before it was filed. And then we had the contradictory evidence. Um, no, we, we did have opportunity to, to view this legislation before it was filed. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to me that Senator Kornbach was was recounting these details, um, which seemed a relatively short period of time before it was filed, where apparently department officials had no details or no knowledge of, of, of a proposal coming down from Governor Reynolds. So I, I'm interested. Um, I know offline we we ultimately kind of landed on a D for this particular claim, but I'm I'm curious. I you know, do we think that's a good grade? Do we think? Um, I'm, I'd like to, to kind of have more of a discussion about this, if that works. Yeah, I mean, I guess, so January 8th, that would have only been a few days before condition of the state in which, you know, I mean, the governor spent a portion of that time um, talking about how she planned to push for in-person learning during that. So, I mean, at least like as of condition of the state that, um, you know, if Department of Education officials didn't know before then, um, they would have known then from the condition of the state um, that that was going to be a push this session. So, mm -hmm. well, and there's always the possibility that you know different people see things differently. Herman Kornbach has been a big education advocate for his whole career. I believe he's an Iowa State professor, or maybe retired, um, and maybe when he started asking about it to the Department of Education. Maybe they, um, you know, weren't forthcoming about what input they provided, or maybe mm -hmm. he talked to the wrong person and someone else had provided input. So it doesn't mean necessarily that what he's reporting is wrong, um, you know, or, or maybe Lebo in her statement to us is um, overstating how much input they had. Maybe they saw the legislation Yes, but it was pretty much like, here's what we're moving forward with. Are you mm -hmm. good with it? You know, that sort of thing. We don't really know what happens kind of behind um, those in those meeting rooms in, in some of these state agencies. Um, but I, I do think with the with Ann Lebo, with the Department of Ed willing to go on the record for us saying, yes, they did have input with other legislation before it was filed is pretty strong. So I, I don't think, I mean, to me, it makes sense not to give Trone Garriott an F because she did have these statements from Kornbach. But um, 
you know, it, I would think that if she had asked Ann Lebo and the DOE the same questions we did, she would have gotten the same answers and maybe wouldn't have made that that statement in this way. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, you know, really kind of the question that kept coming to my mind, you know, the the comment that Department of Education didn't have the opportunity to provide feedback on the bill. I guess I kind of wondered too how important that feedback is in, in legislating these kind of bills, especially if they are priorities of the governor, you know, do these department agencies have the opportunity to say, you know, have the opportunity to kind of strike lines from the bill or you know, is their feedback strong enough to really kind of change the direction of legislation? Um, I guess, you know, that was kind of what I was thinking about, sort of the strength of what this feedback would mean from the department on this particular piece of legislation. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think a D to me strikes the right balance um, in this, and it it um, suits the Democrats' point of view to say that the DOE wasn't being when wasn't being given um, input. And, um, you know, and I, I don't know, I, I just think that maybe she could have checked the claim in the same way that we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, because it does seem really reliant on um, Senator Kornbach's interactions that happened quite a bit earlier. So, I mean, it's plausible that I mean, as you were saying, Aaron, that maybe the Department of Education is overstating things to us. So I see that path for plausibility that keeps it from an F. But you would think that a, I mean, kind of quick check with the Department of Education would probably clear this up. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like we're all in consensus on a D then um, for claim number two. I am. Perfect. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, me too. Okay. Okay. Um, So kind of going to the conclusion, um, you know, overall with the, the first part, the first claim earning a B and the second one earning a D, I rounded up to the overall grade to a C Um, just because there were, I thought that was kind of a fair grade because there's, it, it implies that there's credibility to the statements, but there's not necessarily the evidence or the context behind it um, to really bump it up to that that full B or A. Um, does that sound good to the team, or are we thinking lower, higher? I agree with the C overall. Yeah, I think the C fits overall, considering all of the individual factors in this. Yeah, I agree too. Great. Well, great discussion, guys, especially on, uh, you know, a couple pieces of legislation that, um, you know, a lot of people are paying attention to right now. Um, and, and really, I, I think this is really kind of important to a lot of Iowans. They're, they're really paying attention to, to this kind of uh, issue. Um, so I'm glad we were able to, to do this fact check this week. Um, well, and it looks like, Aaron, you are looking to a potential check for next week, if you wouldn't mind sharing what you found and, and what you're thinking about. Yeah, um, just you guys can let me know what you think about this. Um, so um, U.S. Senator Joni Ernst um, was in the uh, confirmation hearings for Tom Vilsack uh, to serve as secretary for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And um, Senator Ernst sent out a news release this week that um, talks about uh 
President Biden's um, order to convert the federal fleet to electric vehicles. Um, and it said that Ernst noted, Iowa's a top producer of both ethanol and biodiesel. And a new report found that greenhouse gas emissions from corn ethanol are 46% lower than gasoline. So that was one claim I thought we could check. Um, and, you know, there's some nuances to this. She's saying a new report found. Um, so, you know, she's not saying this without attributing it. She's giving us her sourcing, I guess, from the get-go. Um, but I think it might be interesting just because ethanol is so uh, important in Iowa and right now, and, and there's a lot of concern about uh, just how much um, the Biden administration, whether they'll give any emphasis to uh, some of those biofuels versus other renewables like wind and solar. Um, so to me, I think the topic is interesting and um, was something that I thought might be worth um, delving into, but wanted to see what you guys thought. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Yeah, no, I think that sounds um, like an interesting check, Erin. Uh, like to your point, I think with a new administration, uh, uh, there's a lot of different policies that a lot of Americans are looking to to see how it'll change or um, how it'll impact certain industries. Um, and I know Senators Ernst and, and Grassley have been um, huge proponents of, of ethanol. And I know we've done some checks on those in the past. So I, I think this would be good and within our wheelhouse to do. Okay. Are you on board, Marissa? Yeah. No, if I do it. Especially with uh, Vilsack's nomination, you know, that kind of puts these issues back in the spotlight for Iowa. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I'll, I'll send out my request for sourcing. Um, Cause as our readers may or may not know, that's kind of our first step is just reaching out to the source of the claim and saying, where'd you get your information? So I'll do that. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. Thanks, Erin. Um, mm -hmm. And to any listeners, you know, we're going to be keep we're going to keep looking for these fact checks, uh, especially as the Iowa legislator legislation legis. Wow, I can't talk. <laughs> especially as the Iowa legislative session is underway this year, uh, we'll be looking there for any potential fact checks uh, among state politicians. Um, but of course, we we can go broader than that. Uh, any any claim made by an Iowa politician or any claims made by a politician about Iowa, we will check those. Um, so please, if you see something that you think could fit our criteria and would be worth a fact check, reach out to us, send us a tip, and you can send those at factcheckerathegazette.com. And don't stress about saying the word legislature. I've heard many people, it is confusing because you've got legislator, legislature, legislative, you know, very similar words there. Yes. I feel like I've messed that up. Legislator versus legislature. Um, they're, they're way too similar to me and I mix them up in my head all the time. Um, so I, if you can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> For sure. All right. Well, it sounds like that's a wrap for today, guys. Uh, our podcast is produced by Stephen Colbert. Our checks are edited by our editor, Craig Jamolis. The music you hear throughout this podcast is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm Marissa Payne. I'm John Steffi. And I'm Erin Jordan. Until next time, we'll fact check you later.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.